I see a lot of companies that are overcomplicating their reach. So they're kind of missing the big goal. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. I promise you half hour of intense information. So what I'm going to present to you typically is done over two days and you get it in 30 minutes. So get, get prepared for a high speed. Uh, so we've done research on multi-billion dollar deals for a few years. And why do you do that? So in most areas, you want to study the best. And in B2B, you find really superstars among the multi-billion dollar deals. So some of you would think, but that doesn't refer, that doesn't fit at all to what we're doing. But what we have found is that a lot of the patterns on sales and marketing are adaptable to medium-sized B2B businesses, hence the, the second part of, of the headline. So the first motive when studying multi-billion dollar deals was that in most B2B literature, it's talking about complex sales. And in all honesty, when you look at B2B complex sales, it's too wide of an audience. It's too wide of a selection. So to, to try to find similarities between copy printer sales and selling Boeing, it's too different. So I'll talk about some of those differences. And during my Vendermore years, I started a company called Vendermore. We started ABM same month as Demandbase. Uh, we then sold it off to BizNode, so I'm no longer involved. But we were working with over 100 Fortune 500 companies. And I had the fortune of being in a lot of workshops uh, around their largest deals. And I often asked them, so where are your type of deals described in literature? And almost always they said, it isn't. It's not described at all. What we do isn't described. So I was like, interesting. So I started to collect what then became the hypothesis of a big research project with over 100 people. Uh, I'll give that to you today, but again, very high speed. So sales is now becoming split. You see a growth of transactional selling, like the self-service selling. And the traditional buying is diminishing. And the complex selling is becoming more complex. And the decision-making is becoming distributed. So when people like Sirius, et cetera, are saying they're 5.7 decision-makers, yes, that's coming from when you take all B2B sales then the number is probably 5.7. But when you look at the really complex deals, the audience inside a company is often more than 100 people. And that is often forgotten. So when you take the average number of a two-wide sample, you get 5.7. I think that, that number is really dangerous. So don't use it internally. Look at how, what your business logic is. If you're into the more advanced distributed or mega deals, your audience is way larger. I'll come back to that later. Right. What is the mega deal? So we've looked at deals between $10 million and, and $15 billion. Then people say, oh, $15 billion, that must be M&A. No. 
that's an Airbus deal. So between a supplier and a buyer. Uh, the, the mega deals are multidimensionally complex. So it's not just the application and the usage of the application that is complex. It's the decision-making that is complex, the financing structure, et cetera. So quite, quite a few complexities. I'm not going into that today. It's, it takes too long. Almost all mega deals are a mix of hardware, software, and services. And in our de definition, it has to include change management. So I give you an example of what is not a mega deal. Let's say I've sold steel to David for $1 billion five years in a row. The sixth year, he's buying steel for $1 billion again. That is not a mega deal. It's closer to a transactional deal. So the research started during my Vendermore years where we created a hypothesis that then laid the foundation for the interviews. What we did in the beginning was to, and you can try this if you want, so we asked people that have done multi-billion dollar deals, so how do you do them? But that's a bit like asking Wayne Gretzky, how do you play great hockey? You think the answers were smart? No. They said, yeah, we do the need analysis. We map the stakeholders. They gave all the obvious answers. So what we did instead was to say, so we collected all our hypotheses and said, this is what you do. Or, and then they could speak for hours because we provoked them. So we told them, this is what you do. Now you need to tell me what is correct, what should be rephrased, what should be taken out, and what have we missed. And in the beginning of the research, we had a lot of feedback. But then about half of the, the audience, it started to be more like a beep, like a straight line. They more and more said, okay, you have put words on what I've felt my entire life, plus you're describing things that I'm not doing yet. Those two sentences I love. So that meant we, we nailed it. And, and you can be the judge of that. So in mega deals, it's not about me selling to another person or 5.7. It's a lot about orchestration. So the people leading the sales efforts around the mega deal is running a team of people. Some of you guys are doing this already. And it also includes quite a few different skills and components. So it's account-based marketing that many of you are already using. It's enterprise social selling, which is different to normal social selling. I'll show you a few examples. It's contracting and financing that we won't cover at all today. It will take two more days. And then dialogue techniques. Dialogue techniques are what you find in challenges, sales, solution selling, et cetera. It's talking about how do I progress? How do I run meetings and how do I progress the process rhetorically? We're not covering that. We're covering the rest. So to read the Megadeals book, you should have read at least one dialogue technique book. So it's kind of covering the rest of the things. So part one is to understand a mega deal. And the second part is how do you then, based on that understanding, work differently with methods and tools? So the first item of top five mega mistakes is that you're not aligned with a key initiative. So in big organizations, there are typically larger organizations that buy mega deals. If your, your deal is not aligned with one of their key initiatives, you're not going to get big money from them. So an easy takeaway from today that you can apply tomorrow and you will make immediate money is to look for key initiatives, and it's typically found in the annual reports. So if your sales team start to study, and don't have to read all the numbers, it's typically in the more strategy and those kind of parts. And key initiatives are sometimes called strategic programs, big bets is what American Express is calling it. 
and they're typically three to five. It's not 25, they're few. And you find them also in smaller companies, but they're more frequently existing in larger organizations. And, and you can describe it like this as well. So key, key initiative takes you, based on the strategy and your, and your values, it's taking you from now to the vision. So these are really, really important for a big organization. And the good news is that since they are so important, they're well communicated. So even if you can't find it in the annual report, by just asking a few people in that organization, you will get them. Because it's so critical that the whole organization understands them and also assist in getting them implemented. Okay, the second mistake is that a mega deal is not done with 5.7 decision makers. It's not even done with one organization. And I'm sure that many of you can relate to this. this you need to convince an ecosystem of organizations and people, not just the stakeholders within your account. So inside the account, it can look like this. You have a few centers that you need to address. There can be a different hierarchical level and different functional area. But most, and most, many of you know this, most big organizations are matrices or even more complex than that. And in a mega deal, you need to get parties outside the buying organization aligned as well. Consultants, partners, adjacent software. Many of you come from the IT industry. Adjacent IT that you need to interface with. If those vendors are saying, no, that company X, no, they're no good then actually the customer can, I'm sure, how many of you have been part of that? When some party in the ecosystem is blocking the deal. Yeah, so, so when you think about how to sell and market, you need to take this into consideration. So many advanced organizations are mapping the stakeholders, but they do it only in the buying organization. Well, I have tons of stories about this, but we have our 30 minutes, so I need to rush it. The third one is to fail to achieve consensus. Large purchases are done by many people, especially when you have big amounts, big changes and risk on the table. Very few, even top, top, top managers are making a big decision alone. They need to anchor it, and not just to get the decision through, but also to, if something fails, they're not completely chopped. Right? And the fourth one is to miss out Trojan horses. A Trojan horse, some people say, oh, you mean a champion? No. A Trojan horse, a lady that does mega deals at Accenture, he calls, she calls them mushrooms. So uh, Trojans are silent. So you can find them in a meeting. You're having a meeting. Let's say it's five people from us. It's 12 people from the customer. And then the meeting ends, and someone says, Christopher, I can follow you to the door like we can't find our way out. So typically, they go, yeah, um, so Allison wasn't here, and she, you need to get, get a hold of her. And Steven, he's actually, he was really nice to you guys, but he's not in favor of you, and you're competing with these two vendors. Typically, they give less information than that, but what they do is that they open up a door saying, I'm willing to talk. And we've heard evidence that unless you have a few Trojan horses, you will not make a mega deal, because the certainty is that your competitors have them. And they're typically of very low title, their way of ex uh, uh, executing power is through information. I'm sure all of you have been a Trojan at one point or another. You have a favorite vendor, and you're like sharing some information with them. Right. And the, the fifth one, which is a large one, we can talk about this for a long, long time, is failing to work with the risk. So I really liked both Snowflake 
and Todd, who talked about transparency, the best mega dealers are openly talking about risk with their client, and not just risk when not doing anything, but rather risk when doing something. So what, the, what's, what are the risks you're taking when you engage with us? And you saw this in Todd's presentation too. I, I haven't talked to him before, so we're not synced. It just happens to be the same. Uh, if you appear as too perfect, they're not buying from you. So any senior mega dealer is openly saying that we have weaknesses. They're also talking about them. And they're not solving all the risks. They're leaving some risk on the table. Because it's not credible otherwise. If you solve all the risks, like, there is something hidden here. Right. Okay. Let's go into uh, the next part. Yeah. And the most advanced companies are even integrating risk into their offering, which is kind of what Siemens and Tata and these guys are doing really good at this. And you, get, you can charge much, much more if you're seen as trustworthy and low risk. You can charge a really high premium. So the five bullets, do you remember them? So it's aligned with key initiatives. This is really simple. So please do this one. Bring it home. Understand and map the ecosystem, not just internal stakeholders. Create consensus at scale. As you can already figure out, ABM and enterprise social selling plays a great role at consensus creation. And then find and develop Troy and Horses. Too, many, too much literature and too many people say, yeah, always go for the C-suite. We can talk about that for a while. But no, many mega deals are never, ever, ever starting at the C-suite. Because if you go in with too little information to someone in the C-suite, you will be fried alive. So you need to build the attack from beneath. You need to do research calls. You need to find Trojan horses. You need to tap around and feel them out. And then when you do the, the attack to the C-suite, you're super prepared. And the last one is to work with risk mitigation. Right. So, and this is just one, one thing that I wanted to mention. All mega dealers are great at exiting deals early. So a lot of companies are talking about qualification. I rather say disqualification. So disqualify customers early. So the best guy we had at climb on where I was in the last two years, he was super cynical. He really searched for reasons to exit, almost to the extent that the customers were annoyed. But he exited early, and he sold most. And this is a pattern we've seen with the best mega dealers. So see the funnel as a T rather than a V. Okay. So I had the, the luxury of... So I was an investor in Climon, and uh, I, I said to the CEO, if I join as head of sales and marketing, I invest as much money, but I also want us to do this, but I want, this, I want us to agree on this now, not when I have joined. So the good, cool thing is that I, we, we had come pretty far with the Megadeal research already. And I also knew already that then Mark Stews, who's the founder of Proof, I'll, I'll show you a bit about that later, but that's analytically approached. How, how do you make, how do you place the marketing and sales money better? So he whispered to me a few things and I saw a few things and I researched and we grew order intake from three to $90 million in, in two years. And a few of the things that, that we did was to make the organization marketing-driven as opposed to sales. And Kleinman is selling power plants. So you're kind of expecting gray-haired men going around shaking hands, having dinners. So when I said it should be marketing-driven, it was like, right. So we spent more money on marketing than on the whole sales force combined, which is unusual in B2B. So that's one of the things we see also in the research. That's one of the things we see at Proof Analytics. 
marketing is underfunded severely in B2B. We cut 40 resellers. Uh, my experience is that young companies don't benefit at all from going through resellers. You have to prove the market yourselves. You have to get the recipe for success, and then you scale through partners. So I see a lot of young companies. They're like, yeah, it's so cool. We have so cool technology. We can scale through partners. And the statement before I joined was that we, we know the technology, the partners know the market. I said, that won't work. It's going to fail. So I, I caught all the 40 resellers, which was painful. I had some pretty kind of nasty phone calls where people screamed in my ear. And we, we shrunk the total go-to-market spend over those two years. And we cut sales staff from 10 to 6. And we increased marketing with an, the, almost the same, uh, same amount. And we focused on doing videos and articles, at least one of each per week. And we used uh, account-based advertising, social media, and PR as kind of the big distribution engines. So I see, if I can comment on this, I see a lot of companies that are overcomplicating their reach. So they're kind of missing the big goal. Uh, to, to focus on small, small items. Okay, so how can you use methods to work on this, what I showed you? So first of all, focus, as some of you have talked about, focus your sales efforts and your marketing efforts better. So sales is very often distributed in a good way, but marketing is often spread out across the board. You even meet organizations, I'm sure that one or two of you would say, yeah, marketing takes care of the market that sales doesn't take care of. That's a horrible statement. So sales and marketing should work as one team. Uh, focusing on the best accounts. And we spent about 60% of our budget on various types of account-based marketing. And this is a message, the, 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 the messaging architecture, sorry, the, the fundament on how we built it. So I'll show you a bit on the messaging architecture. We produced videos and articles and the PowerPoints based on this. And we distributed by account-based advertising, various types of social media and PR. PR is, by the way, uh, almost always underfunded in B2B. So... This one takes a long, long time, so some of you won't get this. But overall, we as marketeers either talk too much about what we sell, the, the kind of half-good ones say, so this is a problem, and we can solve it for you. But the decision process has a few more steps that we need to include, and they're often on the category and the subcategory level. So I'll show you an example from Climon. So Climon is, is doing green energy, and... Big drivers are the prior Paris Agreement, et cetera, et cetera. But before you go into what, he, what Climon does, you need to describe how heat power, which is the category in which climate exists, competes with solar power, wind power, nuclear, and all those. Because that's a question that everyone has. So, yeah, fine. But how, about, how do you compete with the other types of energy? And then you need to understand the different types of heat power. And once you've gone through this and you talk about why you're the best vendor, most of the time you've positioned out almost all competitors. And you become really good at qualifying or disqualifying because you're all of a sudden a guide for the customer. This one, I haven't met one company that nailed this in the first attempt. It's pretty tricky. It looks simple, but it's tricky. Yeah, and then too few companies are... So sales are spending a ton of time from uh, on taking the customer from having decided, yeah, we should go with you guys to actually signing the deal. And a lot of it is spent on how do I buy? What do I need to do before I buy? And then when I bought, what, what happens before that contract and until we're live? 
and what happen, happens during the ongoing relationship, salespeople are spending a, a, a tremendous amount of time on answering these questions. And we're spending a lot of time on describing why we are eliminating the risks. So please produce content that respond to these as well, not just, so we're in general too, to the top of the funnel heavy in all aspects, where sales in the complex B2B and more even and higher up is spending a lot of time on downstream stuff. So I'll show you an example from proof. So I'll, I'll show you the same for proof and you can judge if it, if it works for you. So first of all, companies like you are struggling with how to split the go-to-market budget. Like how, how much should I put on sales? marketing, PR, and then within marketing, how should I split it, split it between retargeting, trade shows, content syndication, SEM, etc. What we often do is we, we overestimate the power of the brain, and science is showing that we can handle four variables that are linear, that behave in a linear way and with no time lag, so no delayed effect. Does marketing have a delayed effect? Quite often. So... I did work when I was younger. I worked for the Swedish government during, for a project. And myself and, and Proof's uh, head of analytics, Magnus, we approached the capital gain tax with regression analytics. And we re reduced the error from 80% to 4%. And that's quite a few billions. And we didn't know anything about capital gain tax. We had to alta vista it. And I intentionally say that because I'm old. So... Google didn't exist. We had to alta vista it. What, is, what, what the heck is capital gain tax? So uh, we had no domain expertise. Of course, the best thing is to blend domain expertise with mathematics. But the, the human brain cannot beat mathematics when you have more than four variables. And in marketing and sales, we often have 15 to 50 variables. I'm sure if you start to put down what you're doing, you're going, oh shit, we have 37 things. Your brain, it's not that you're stupid. It's just that the human brain even among the smartest people on earth, is not capable of multidimensional stuff. We're good at memory, associating, but not at multidimensional stuff. And then once you go into analytics, you have kind of two different categories. I'm just showcasing these to you. You have multi-touch attribution, which is based on trying to figure out the customer journey. That is often only digital. So, and it's often chopped up into only the last few steps because we have cookie deletion, multiple devices with places like this. So when to determine money spend based on clicks, you will fail because you miss out 80% over here and it doesn't catch delayed effects. So people that, that all go all into multi-touch attribution will overspend on short-term stuff like search engine marketing, like email, things that are converting fast with a very aggressive call to action. Whereas uh, marketing mix modeling that is used today by the biggest brands in the world, but they're dependent on PhDs in mathematics. So what we've done at Proof, we've automated marketing mix modeling. So we've robotized it. So we can do it in, in a few seconds as opposed to weeks and months. And we can all, all of a sudden make what Unilever and those guys are using uh, applicable for medium-sized and normal large companies. So, and it's really good because we're catching, the, we call it multipliers. So you put $1 in, how many dollars do you get back? And it's statistically proven, so it's not a guess. We also calculate what's the average time to impact. So if it's PR, for example, it can be five quarters. If you use a click-based model, you won't see that at all. I might have talked to someone before that were a bit frustrated over this, that, oh, we can't prove PR. 
we think it's good, but we can't prove it, so we cut it. And what we're typically competing with is people doing marketing mix modeling with consultants. But two-thirds of those are PhDs or higher, so it's a very small group. So, so we, we have some pretty good timing at proof at the moment. What we do on orient, orientational messaging is these are topics that are not necessarily straight on sales. It's more topics that are around what you're selling. Sometimes we use the, uh, the Bond movie as an example on how to promote Aston Martin. So orientational messaging, in our case, we're just launching data science for CMOs, so short videos explaining data science topics for CMOs. It's not, sell, it's not saying buy proof at all. It's proof branded, but it's talking about data science for the CMO. We have, uh, we're coming out with uh, so marketing analytics trends, and this is something I run, finance for CMOs. Most CMOs are not qualified enough to be able to really talk C-level language, and typically the biggest handicap is in finance. So we run uh, short videos on finance for CMOs. And we also share what proof often shows, like marketing is underfunded, probably to the joy of most of you in the room. Sales is overfunded. PR adds most value close to the purchase, not top of the funnel, close to the purchase. Why do you think that is? It's connecting to one of the points I raised earlier, risk mitigation and trust. So if you're seen as trustworthy, then third parties, and this is in line with, uh, with Todd's presentation as well, for those of you who saw it. And... I think several of you have touched upon this already. It's too much folks on MQLs. It's an, it's an orgasm of MQLs out there. And all companies we're analyzing are putting too much money into lead generation and way too little at closing deals and growing accounts from the marketing side. So we're over-invested here. Anyway, those were just a few snippets. We're soon launching also marketing KPI best practices because we're kind of in that all, all the time. So these are not sales content, but it's, uh, it's very... Uh, nice to bring us to the table. The cool thing is the proof analytics and uh, mega deals is kind of in symbiosis. So proof is quant based and mega deals is research based. I won't go through all of that, but it's a, it's a great symbiosis. So I, I'm kind of a bit geeky on trying to find the best recipes. Maybe I'm a bit lazy. I want to find the, the fastest route to the goal. So I, I, I nerd around this, these topics. Great. Bee swarming is another tactic that's so really effective. What it consists of is that you visit LinkedIn profiles in the target account and the ecosystem. Most people are checking who's visited my profile now and then. And blending it with IP target ads won't go into this. Most of you are totally up to speed with this. We're also doing the same on, on social media using uh, custom audiences. So bee swarming is to just put it more in context. So basically you use Sales Navigator. You go, this is Tata's deal. You find people, in this case, that have renewable energy as a keyword. And in this case, 73 contacts pop up. All the climate deals were originated at LinkedIn. And this is one example. So, and we did this as a team. So many people are visiting profiles, but do it as a team. So all of a sudden, if you have five people from Proof Analytics on your profile, you go, but are they trying to recruit me or what's going on? Did they just have a meeting about me? That raises a lot of curiosity. It's a very cheap, it's a bit tedious, but it's a cheap tactics of getting in front of your most important people. And uh, this one led to Ingvar, who's at Iceland, uh, in Iceland. He saw immediately an article about Icelandic geothermal power production 
then came to our website, and three months later, we made, made a $30 million deal with them. And also one thing that I, I, I'm glad Snowflake mentioned, put, so some people make take too much focus on putting just a few spokespersons in front. No, put a lot of people in the front, even R&D people, not just salespeople, but R&D people. Put a lot of people in the front and let them launch the content. Don't launch it from the brand first and then have others share it. Do it the other way. Have persons sharing it first, and then you source it back to the brand. It's way more effective. That's also an easy takeaway from today. And make sure that the content is filled with the people and put them in the front. So over here, for example, I'm their manager, but I'm not receiving this award. I'm not talking to the press. I'm, I'm secondary in this context because it's this guy, Carl. He's leading the efforts in the marine industry for Climb One. He's more important than me for them. And also you get a lot of engagement when, when you en engage the staff like this. So again, this is a, a picture if you want to take a photo. Uh, if you want to have a really simple recipe, follow this one. The, the messaging architecture is kind of, probably some of you put, got it, but it's very hard to grasp. And then think about mega deals is about orchestration, not just sales techniques. It's much bigger than that. So there, we have workshops. I have 50 books here. We, we actually have... Uh, it's, it's a higher, higher quality, the kind of book we have now. It's the first batch. The one that goes on Amazon later is having, and you know that some of you have done books, it's kind of compromised on quality. Can you hold it up? You have one there. Yeah, so this is like the premium paper. It's a lot of the fancy stuff. So go to megadealsadvisory.com and please follow me on LinkedIn. So if you want the slides, email me at christopherengman at proofanalytics.com. Thank you for the half hour of trailer. <laughs> this requires more time. Thank you so much. We have a couple of minutes and people have questions for you. Uh, they can answer that they can ask. Yeah, you have questions? I've skipped a ton of stuff, just so you know. But I will ask one of the questions that, that I know and I've seen you do. This is the idea of like salesperson being the hero mm -hmm. in the organization. Yeah. Uh, like I think, how many of you are in marketing? Almost everybody in this room right now. But I think one of the presentations you had was like salesperson is the hero. Salesperson needs to be coming as a trusted advisor. Yeah. Could you share like how companies, how people can actually go do that and why they should do right. it? Right. So, so it, it, um, it might feel weird, but if, if you uh, place salespeople in your content, they're gladly playing with you because you're playing on their ego. They're gladly playing, playing ball with you. So because I, I, I know from, from the Vendermore years that and you know the same for Terminus, it's a hassle sometimes to get sales engaged. But bring them in, produce content with them, participating in the content, and you'll see what happens. People are not just driven by money, but also it increases the trust on the customer side. So I've been in meetings where, for example, Carl that you saw over there, uh, I had a higher title than he had, but in the marine industry, I could totally sense that he was the star, which was the purpose. I mean, I was just there... Orchestration leader, yeah, supporter. But, uh, but he was, and his team, they were really known in that segment because we had put them in the content. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, cool. Again, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.